We've spent the last several months, a few months, going through the book of Revelation. We're still in the third chapter. That's all right. As I said to you before, we're going to take our time through the seven letters, and then as we get into the rest of Revelation, our real focus through this study, I mean, I know we've taken a long time with this, but my goal has not been that we would do the exhaustive study on Revelation. In fact, there's much better uh, studies that you can get into. If you want to really just feel like you squeezed all the juice out of this book, I would encourage you, I can direct you towards some resources. But for this series, what we're seeing is the theme of the overcoming of Jesus and the overcoming of his church. And that's why we've taken our time through the seven letters. Because at the end of each seven letters, he says to them that overcome. To the one that overcomes. And he's given you a roadmap to overcoming. He's told you that the end of your story is overcoming. And so if the end of your story is overcoming, then the whole process to get there is overcoming. Right? When, when someone wins a battle, we don't say they, they didn't win the battle until the end. Right? We don't say, well, they didn't win the battle until the, the, final, uh, until the, you know, the, the final white flag went up. We don't say somebody won the game only when the whistle blew. If, we, if they won the game... That whole game was the story of them winning, right? That whole battle was a story of victory, even when it didn't feel that way. You know, when I I read old, uh, you know, histories of of great battles like the Battle of Cannae, the the Battle of Thermopylae, even though that wasn't a victory for the Greeks, but, you know, these great battles where where people fought, uh, the Battle of Antium, the Battle, all of these, these, these major uh, wars and battles that we study, the, the landing at Normandy, Battle of the Bulls, all of these things, sometimes you go back and you say, that was a victory for these people. But at the time, they may not have felt until the very last, they may not have felt like it was a victory until it was. You know, they had to believe something that they couldn't see yet. They had to believe that we are fighting and we're, we're, we may not feel like we're winning at the moment, but we know we are. You know, I think for every moment of your life, you should feel like you're winning because you believe Jesus, right? Right? But you're not going by what you see. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith, right? And so these, through these stories of, of, of Jesus writing these letters, he's telling us at the end of this, it's overcoming. But if at the end of it's overcoming, then all the way to get to the end is still overcoming. We're overcoming right now. We are overcoming. And so I want to read this last part of the letter to Laodicea. And of course, Laodicea, we've talked about for the past two weeks, was a a church that had been found to be lukewarm, had been um, not in a place of of maybe excitement or passion for the Lord or hunger uh, because they thought they had everything they needed. They they thought they were well, well filled. And Jesus exposes their nakedness, their hunger, their, their spiritual poverty, their blindness. But he doesn't expose them to humiliate them. He doesn't expose them to damage them. He exposes the, the hunger. He exposes the, the poverty, the nakedness, the blindness. He does this so that they'll come to him. He says, you got to know that you're naked because I've got clothes for you. Right? If you don't know you're naked, you won't take these clothes. But I have clothes for you. What a great savior. He doesn't just say, I just want to put you in your place. I just want to knock you down a peg. Just know this. You're not as hot as you think you are. That was not the purpose. He says, you think you can see, but you're actually blind. But come to me. I'll put eye salve on your eyes so that you can see. 
He says, you think you're rich, but you're actually poor. But come to me, I'll give you gold refined by fire. He says, you guys think you have nice clothes, but you don't. Come to me and I'll give you white robes. So for everything they lack, he tells them, you, you don't have this. You think you do, but you don't. But here's the solution. Come to me. You come to me and I'll give you what you need. Then he explains to them and he says these wonderful words. He says, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and turn. Be zealous and change your mind and go the other direction. And he says, here's what's going to happen. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if anyone would let me in, I'm going to have dinner with you. I'm going to sup with you. I'm going to dine with you. I'm going to make my abode with you. Then he says this, and this is where we're going to pick up. In verse 21, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. This is Jesus talking. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we have two realities here, and, and, and they're both part of the same reality. But if you'll remember, the Scripture tells us that we have been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, right? And seated in heavenly places doesn't mean you have a good couch. <laughs> seated in heavenly places means a place of rule, a place of authority. That's our present situation, not, not even the future, but present. However, there is a future that he's talking about here. I will give him a place to sit. I will let him sit with me right here as the Father gave me authority when I overcame. So let me, let me, let me put something to you. When Jesus walked the earth, did he walk in authority? Yeah, he did. Absolutely he did, right? Now that's the same authority he's given to you and to me, right? Yeah. However, it says in Philippians 2, when he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name. So it tells us that when he died on the cross, was resurrected, he was already walking in authority. He already was the son of God. He already was divine. And yet through this act of crucifixion and resurrection, through this act of laying down his life and allowing it to be picked up again, God gave him a name which was above every name and gave him a special place. And now the scripture says that he is seated at the right hand of God until all his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. This is the reality we're living in right now. We are part of the king's rule in a land of rebellion. And the rebellion, even though it seems like people are the problem, we understand our battle's not against flesh and blood, right? But there is a rebel force. The true king is on his throne now. But the world is still in a state of rebellion. And the Bible says he is seated until all his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Well, in the book of Revelation, it lays it out for us. And that's not just in Revelation, but through this book, it lays it out that there will be a day where Jesus rules with a rod of iron. It says in that day, because his will is absolutely being done. You see, right here on the earth, we still have people that have the choice to, to leave or to stay, to obey or disobey, to rebel. But he says there'll be a day where he's sitting on the throne and creation once again comes under subjection. And the Bible actually tells us that creation is waiting for us. It's waiting for our revealing as the sons of God. So we're talking about present rule, but we're also talking about future rule. And I'm not going to re-preach what we talked about when we uh, went through the church at Thyatira. But in the church of Thyatira, he says this 
Or Theatira, right? Theatira would be more right. Theatira. When he talked to them, he said, to him overcomes, I will allow you to rule as I rule with a rod of iron. And as the pottery is broken to pieces, so you'll do this. He basically is telling us that you're going to rule like I rule. Right? Now we all, we, we've, you know, this is the part where a lot of us trip up because we're, we're trying to figure out what the next life looks like. And for so many reasons, so many years and so many centuries, religion has painted what happens after this as this weird little fantasy land where nothing is really happening. Now, maybe you had the idea, and I, I'm going to just review some things we've already talked about, but maybe you had the idea that, that heaven is all the wonderful things I want. Right? If I like cotton candy, then heaven's made of cotton candy. Uh, if I like ice cream, then heaven's a big ice cream party. You know, we've kind of painted that picture, but that can't really be true because you'll get tired of that. And uh, then my heaven would be different than your heaven. But what makes heaven so perfect? Jesus, of course. But Jesus is here, right? And he's there. And of course, him being the center, the scripture says that he'll be the light. You won't even need the sun or the moon because he's the light. That's pretty cool. But what is it about his rule that makes everything perfect? Well, it's that his will is always done. Right? His will is always done. When his will is always done, everything works perfect. Like it did in the garden. We'll be part of this, right? Now, the scripture doesn't just say there'll be heaven after this. It says there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, you know, if you think about, and I don't want to get too far out of the scripture, but if you think about it, God has spoken into the universe and his creative word that spoke and created has not stopped creating. And science even tells us that the universe is ever expanding. I don't believe God is wasting space, pardon the pun. I believe that all of that is to come under subjection. All of that is to be ruled as earth was meant to be ruled. Now, the scripture tells us that we will rule and reign with him. So, you know, you think about all throughout the New Testament, he paints a picture, not of us just sitting on clouds, strumming harps, but he paints a picture of us actually having jobs. In the garden, before there was sin, there was work to be done. But the work was not toilsome. The work was not harsh. It didn't have thorns. In fact, man worked in the garden and found fulfillment in his work in the garden. Because you think about it, if you have a garden right now, that, that garden is very close. You, you feel a closeness to your creator because you understand a little bit of what he does. When he is husbanding creation, when he is ruling over creation, creation is better because he's in authority. So when God put Adam over the garden, the garden was better because Adam was having dominion over it. You see, in the world, it, the, the kings and rulers and lords, when they have dominion over somebody, everybody's worse off except for them, right? Like they use everybody for them. Jesus said, when the Gentiles get in power, they use their power to lord it over each other. But it is not so with you. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you're going to be a servant of all. 
You see, this is the way the garden was designed, the way earth was designed. You think about it, Adam and Eve weren't supposed to stay in a garden with their descendants in a garden for the rest of their life. They were supposed to subdue the earth, right? So before there was sin, there was work. But it wasn't work that you felt like, oh, this is terrible. It was work that you felt you were part of what God was doing. You were participating in the creative work of God, right? So it's going to be like that again, guys. He's making all things new. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be roles to play. And you say, I thought, oh man, I was hoping, I was looking forward to eternity of vacation. You wouldn't like that. You wouldn't like that. We used to live across from a guy who we, we knew he was a farmer. Before we ever got to know the guy across the street, we knew he was a farmer because the man was retired and he would stand out with a hose just like watering little bits of his lawn. And he got scissors out and would trim the edges next to his driveway. We knew he was a farmer not because he knew how to take care of grass, but because he was bored out of his mind and had to do something. Right? He didn't want to be retired. He wanted to be out there. Well, the work that God called us to is, 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 is without the curse. We don't know what it's like to tend a garden that doesn't have thorns and weeds. We don't know what it's like to work. And he said, you know, part of the curse was with the sweat of your brow, you're going to reap harvest. It's going to be hard for you. We don't know what it's like to, to be able to farm without the ground fighting back. But this is what's going to happen. And, 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 and the scripture tells us, you know, Paul said, uh, why do you guys take each other to court? Why do you guys sue each other? He said, don't you know you're going to judge angels? Someday you're going to judge angels. Don't you know? I mean, he says, why are you letting unbelievers rule over you and decide your little squabbles between each other? Don't don't you think we can settle things? Because he says, someday you're going to have to, some of you are going to have to make some judgments. There's going to be positions of authority. Scripture says that we're going to be given crowns. Well, let me tell you, a crown is not just a fancy hat. It symbolizes something. And crowns aren't automatic. The robes you get, that's granted to you because you're righteous through Christ Jesus. You get your robe. Praise God. You get the ring on your finger. You get, there's a lot of stuff you just get because Jesus is good. But there's also some things that he says, what have you done? Because I'm, I'm looking at what you're doing now and I'm, I'm picking jobs for the next one. I'm picking, for, I'm picking for the next one. We are training to rule. Right now, we're in training. You are in training mode right now. You are meant to rule right now. The kingdom of God goes with us. But creation is in rebellion, so you can't control everything, can you? But at the same time, we're, we're watching, you know, we're watching how at, the, at his name, demons flee. We're watching at his name, people are healed. We're watching some of that happen. We're watching uh, 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 principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world bow to his name, even in this life. Because as Jesus said, right now the ruler of this world has been judged. And yet we're training for that day when you're going to rule and reign with him. And you might rule over an area. You might rule over a planet. I don't know. But this is training. And it seems to be a big deal. Now listen, if that's not a big deal to you, then you'll kind of glaze over when he says, if you overcome, the one that overcomes gets to rule with me, gets to have a rod of iron. The one who overcomes gets to do this. He says here, the one who overcomes, I'll grant you can sit down with me on my throne. Like, 
He says, to one who overcomes, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. There's a picture of what's going to happen. And we're meant to be excited about this. And to a degree, guys, let me tell you, this is what I believe. I believe every single person, every single person that's here, that's, that's listening to this, that's, that's, uh, that Jesus is writing to, that, that every single person that, that holds on to his word, every single person that's believed, when they get to the end, whether they got to the end crawling over the finish line or sprinting over the finish line, they overcame. Right? We're not talking about the top three. We are, we're all, we're going to stand there in, in an overcoming place. So that's pretty exciting. That's not, this, these letters, when he says, Tim overcomes, I'll do this. Tim overcomes, like, if you're thinking in your head, the best of us will get that reward, you're missing it. This is the reward for the overcomers. And guess what? If we're there at the end standing with Jesus, we're the overcomers. So get ready for this. This changes how we think later. This changes how we think now. Remember how I said the reason heaven is so perfect is because his will is always done? Well, if you don't like his will now, you might not like it then. You, you probably should fall in love with his will now and realize that things will work better when his will is done. That's why we don't just pray your kingdom come, your will be done. We actually want that prayer to be answered. We want it in us. Lord, let your will be done in me. Let your kingdom come in me right now. We're not waiting for heaven. Heaven's, beca- heaven's invaded us. We're a part of the kingdom of heaven right now. Amen. And in a sense, we're training for something to come, but in a sense, we've already stepped into it. Eternity doesn't start when you die. Eternal life, you've been given eternal life. Eternity, by definition, doesn't have a beginning, right? It's, it's without beginning, without end. So once you stepped into eternal life, it's with you right now. You're in eternity. We say, oh, they've gone on to eternity. You're there now. Now, you still kind of live in a timeline, right? I'm not bouncing back and forth from, I'd love to go visit the dinosaurs. I can't do that. I can't skip forward three years and just, you know, live in the future. I'm still bound to created time. There'll be a day when that time's not an issue anymore. But I'm still in eternity. So let me, let me ask you some questions. Just, let's just think about this. Is church, is his church, his bride? That's, we're, we're part of that, right? Is that something that's just a temporary stopgap until he returns? I don't think so. Because he, he talks about it all the time. He, he, in fact, the last few words he says in the book are, Behold, the Spirit and the bride say come. He talks about his bride coming and living in the city. This is, this is, this is just like the engagement period, right? I mean, there, we, we've already been betrothed to Christ. We've already, we're already part of his family, and yet there is a presentation day. And so, all right, we think about the church like that. Well, let's think about the church as a building, like Peter talks about. We're living stones, building a house. Well, the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Is, is Jesus Christ a temporary cornerstone? No, he's permanent. So what if what God is building now is eternal? The earth will pass away. Our flesh will pass away. But the word of the Lord will endure forever. There's some stuff starting now. There's some stuff we're sowing into now that will still be reaping a harvest on the other side of all of this. 
And it changes the way you live. There's, there's a saying, you know, this person is too, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, right? And the idea is, you know, we, we all know these people that are just so caught up in what, what heaven, 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 that they're not doing anything right here. They're just waiting for heaven. They just can't wait till the rapture. They can't wait to die, you know, so they can be in heaven. But that phrase isn't really fair. Because the problem isn't that they're too heavenly minded. The problem is that they misunderstand what heaven is. Yeah. Right? I should be, we should be super heavenly minded. We should be majorly heavenly minded. But the point is, if you're heavenly minded, you're not waiting to die. You're not, you're not saying this all begins. I am eagerly awaiting the return of Christ. But like we've said before, Jesus says when he comes back, he wants to find us working. Right? He wants to find us doing what he left us to do. So he's not, he's not hoping to come back to a rapture party. He's hoping to come back to a group of people that have put their hand to his work. And when they put their hand to his work just as he did, he said, greater works than these will you do. The work we're doing now, it, it's not a big tower of Legos that he's just going to knock over. When he comes back, this building will be gone. This land will be gone. The city of Lloydminster won't exist. But what we've sown into and what God has built here is eternal. Amen. That's why. So when you're heavenly minded, you put your hands to eternal things. In fact, this is why when Paul spoke about um, the return of Christ and he talked about how we're going to go up and in, in a blink, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed he actually says, at the end of all this, he tells us that, you know, you, you're going to get a new body and all of this, and you're going to be taken up with Christ. But he says, so remind yourself and encourage yourself with this, knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. Have you thought about this? He's saying, because of the fact that there's a resurrection... Because of the fact that there's life after this, because of the fact that this is eternal stuff, your work is not useless. You know, if you think, well, Jesus is coming back next week, so nothing we're doing here matters, then you'll think, well, it's useless, you know, whatever. But what if Jesus is coming back next week? What if he was? He could. If he did, I'm not wasting my time doing anything he told me to do. Whether he comes back next week or next millennium, it, it, I'm still sowing into eternity. I'm still working in eternity. My hands are at his work and this work will endure when the, when the world passes away. What he's building will still be there. Amen. So it's not a waste. Amen. You're not wasting your time. Jesus said that you're storing up treasures in heaven that moth and rust cannot destroy. And when the world is rolled up like a scroll, what you've stored in heaven is still there. What we've sowed is still growing. Like this is, this is life now. I want to read you something from 2 Corinthians that you'll be familiar with. And it mostly is something we read at funerals. You know, there's a lot of scriptures that we kind of just uh, ghetto-wise to certain, certain times of the year or certain situations. We don't read from them at any other time. But I think we should, right? Of course we should. We should read about Christmas in July. 
the birth of Christ. You can read about that any time of the year. Read about the resurrection in November. Read about marriage at all times. Read about uh, uh the death and the resurrection, uh, uh, you know, the, the death of this mortal body and the resurrection of the body. Read about that, not just when you're lowering somebody into the ground, but right now. Because this letter wasn't written to a funeral. It was written, written to a church that needed to know what they were doing and why they were doing it. The church should be extremely heavenly minded. The church should be eagerly awaiting the return of Christ. But how do we wait for the return of Christ? Do we stop doing something and look to the sky? No. See, the disciples were staring at the sky and the angel said, what are you doing looking at the clouds? You got work to do. He'll come back just like he left. Right? You don't need to look up at the sky waiting. And he just get to work. <laughs> and when I say get to work, we still think of that in the legalistic post-curse mindset. And work is bad. Let me tell you, work in Christ, the work of faith, the work of grace, the work of love, this work in, through him now as a new covenant reality is not a dirty word. It doesn't mean work for your meal, work for your bed. You already got your meal. You already got your bed. You're not working for your place in Christ. You have it. We're not working to be called a son and a daughter. We're working because we are. We get our dad's business. We're called to it, so we get to participate in what he's doing. This is a good word now. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels or in, in, in clay vessels. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. We are always carrying about in our body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, he's, he's, he's got a little sandwich here. And the bread is not fun. The top bread is we're persecuted, we're afflicted, we're crushed. But look what he's, his real point is, no matter what's thrown at us, we may be persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We may be perplexed, but we're not despairing. We may be uh, uh, struck down, but we're not destroyed, right? So he's saying no matter what the enemy's throwing at us, no matter what we come up against, it has never been enough to stop us. And he says, in fact, the closer our bodies get to death, the more we realize that life is working in us. And we don't lose heart. You may have the comic book Bible. I grew up with a picture Bible. And I still see Moses, the character Moses in the Bible, the, the historical figure Moses. I still see him like the picture Bible drew him. 
That had an effect on me, right? So now they have the Action Bible. And it's like an updated comic book version, right? This is cool. And I, if I was a little boy again, I'd be all over that. Uh, but we've got to remember, these people were not superheroes. They were human beings who dealt with some of the same things you're dealing with, who had some of the same things pop in their head and have to overcome. And when Paul went through this, you've got to realize Paul was a guy. He was a man. He was a human. So when people keep mistreating you, at some point, you've got to know that for a guy like that to just keep going, even after, I mean, at one point they stoned him to death. The Bible says they actually dragged him out of the city, threw rocks at him until he died, or at least they were sure he was dead. Dragged him out, left him there. It says the disciples gather around Paul's body. Now when you read it, you got, I think you got to read between the lines. What would disciples, disciples doesn't mean the 12 disciples, it means the followers of Jesus, people like you and me. When they gathered around his body, what do you think they did? What would you have done? You would, yeah, you wouldn't have just been like, oh, poor Paul. His face is really messed up. Right? And the Bible says he got up. He got up. A resurrection took place, or if not a resurrection, within inches, so close to resurrection, it might as well have been resurrection. Because people that stoned, the people that knew how to stone somebody were convinced he was dead. I'm pretty sure they were experts. He gets up. What does he do? He walks right back to the city. The, they just left the city. The city that stoned him to death. He brushes himself up, says, thanks, thanks, chaps, and goes right back into the city. So either he is insane or he's, he's got some things inside of him. And I, God didn't give him superpowers. God didn't say, this is my beloved Paul who's above all the rest of you. What did he have? He had the Holy Spirit. Amen. He had the Spirit of God. He, had, he was reborn in Christ. He had nothing that you and me don't have. Zero. He had a call from God. You've got a call from God. You may not be called to the same thing he was, but I mean, every, everything that kept this guy going, you've got. And so somehow he keeps going after all this happens. He, he is somehow not just managing to let all this physical stuff get to him. He's not letting all the rejection of people getting to him. He's still doing ministry. Why? Well, he tells you, this is why we don't lose heart. And what has he just told you about? He's just told you that we'll be raised with Christ. So I'm not worried. He's, he's in fact saying, I've come close to death a lot of times. I'm not really worried about it. I know I'm going to be raised. And he says this, and, and, and this is a powerful statement. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, and whether or not you're getting beat up every day <laughs> like Paul was, or even if you're just living a, a life that, that nobody's physically assaulting you, but you are getting older, either way, your body's decaying. We don't like to think of it that way, but you're heading closer and closer to the shutdown of this earthly body. It won't last forever, right? It can inherit the eternal, the scripture says. That's okay. That's good. God's prepared us for something. But even though this outer body is decaying, I says our inner man is being renewed day by day. That means that you are you're experiencing resurrection every day of your life. 
One song, and I've quoted this to you before, but I, I have a, uh, listened to a song that, that describes it as death in reverse. On, on the outside, our body is slowly working to death, but in the inside, we are experiencing death in reverse. We're actually getting newer and newer every day. That's a powerful thing. But he says this, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison. So he calls the affliction he's facing and he's described it for you. Now why is he going through that affliction? There'll be some people that said, well, God gave that to him to teach him a lesson. He, he tells you why he's going through that affliction. It was what he had to go through to get the gospel to these people. Because getting the gospel to these people, there's people opposing him. There's demonic forces opposing him. So something's getting thrown at him constantly. But he says, this affliction we're facing is momentary, and it's light. He says, the glory that's waiting for us is eternal. So we got momentary, and we've got eternal. He says, and it's a weight. It's heavy. The affliction is temporary and light. The glory is eternal and heavy. So to him... He's balancing it out and going, there's no comparison. He says it's far beyond all comparison. You can't really fairly compare the two. It's more than worth it for us to do this because of what's ahead of us. So here's a man who is extremely heavenly minded and it's made him way more earthly good. But because of his heavenly mindedness, he's not stopped by the first bit of affliction. He's not stopped the first group of people that doesn't like him, wants to throw him in prison, wants to throw rocks at his head. It doesn't bother him because, I'm not saying it doesn't bother him, but it doesn't stop him. Because you can't compare that to this. Thank God. We experience little bits of that. Little bits of Somebody not liking you. I mean, but we put our bodies through things. I mean, some of you, some of you folks go to the gym every single day. And it's not always easy. There's work. There's some pain sometimes of pushing through, feeling the burn. But you know there's a purpose behind this. How much greater is the eternal weight of glory? Because no matter how much love you put into your body, it'll get either fat and old or just dead at some point. It doesn't live forever. And I'm not saying don't work out. Go, go for it. Have fun. But I'm saying, you know what it's like to put yourself through, to say, it's worth this little bit, of, little bit of effort. It's worth this little bit of discomfort for what's on the other side. An Olympic athlete doesn't say, coach, why are you doing this to me? Why don't you love me? Why are you making me do this? Because he knows I'm training for that glorious day when I get to run. So Paul's saying this is worth it. Far beyond worth it. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Temporal means they will change. They're, they won't last. But the things which are not seen are eternal. I want you to consider that if the things that are not seen are eternal and we are sowing into unseen things, even right now, what you're doing right now you know the famous gladiator phrase, what we do now echoes in eternity. Well, it's more than that. What you're doing now is going to be there in eternity. Jesus said, sorry, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that, that there'll be a day when our work is judged 
And it'll be judged based, and he's really talking about apostles. He says, what we've built, if we've built it on the foundation of Christ, it'll still be lasting. It'll have stood the test of fire. He says, on that day, our work will be examined. If it was burned up, it won't be there. And he says, you'll be saved. Thank you, Jesus. He says, you'll be saved as though through fire, but your work is gone. So there'll be believers that stand before the Lord that have really nothing to show for anything they've done on the earth, but they're saved by the grace of God. Thank you, Lord. They're still going to celebrate, right? Come on, guys. You got people going to hell? They get to be with Jesus? I'd say they still celebrate. But there'll be others whose work is still there. And there's a reward for them. He says, he'll reward you for that work. So there'll be, there's things we're doing right now. This is why we don't build because of, we don't do things because of fads or temporary cultural shifts. We, we've got to focus on eternal stuff. We've got to be eternally minded because what we're doing right now is still going to be around. There's rewards for it. There's a foundation that's being built. And I want to spend my life Sowing into eternal things. I love Psalm 90. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's the psalm of Moses. It's the one psalm that Moses wrote. It's not the only song he wrote, but it's the one psalm he wrote. And Moses said, it was near the end of his life, and you know, remember a whole generation died? A whole generation died in the wilderness? Uh, Moses was the last of his generation to die. So he spent 40 years slowly watching everybody slowly drop. Many, some of them died of old age. Not everybody died a tragic death. Most of them just died because they got old. But Moses has watched all his friends die. He hasn't lived in a stable environment since he was a young man. I mean, think about it. He really hadn't lived in, in one place since he was a prince in Egypt. Even when he was a shepherd, he was a bit nomadic. Then he lived with the Israelites and traveled with them for 40 years. They wander around in the desert. So he says, Lord, we've never had a home. He says, but you've been our home. You have been our home for generations. A nomadic man who's wandered around says, I now come to realize you've always been our home. And then he begins to talk about how God is so eternal. You're eternal, but we are temporary. He says, our flesh is like dust. He says, he says, we're like the grass of the field. One day we're gone. And he's thinking about all the people that are dying. He's close to dying himself. And he's saying, I've come to realize people, this life is like this. But he says, you're eternal and your work will still be there. He goes through a time of repenting and, and, and confessing the sins of Israel and then he gets back to the eternal nature of God. And at the end of the, the song, he says, Oh Lord, show your favor to us. Oh God, establish the work of our hands. And literally in the Hebrew, it's make permanent the work of our hands. He's a man who's about to die. When you're a young man, you know, your, your dreams are different. Make me big on this earth. Let a lot of people know my name. Moses, is, he's been there, done that. He's, he's, seen all, he's seen a lot of things. He's had people follow him. He's had millions of people follow him. He's stood up to Pharaoh. He's seen miracles. He's seen battles. But at the end of his life, this is what the favor of God looks like for him. The favor of God looks like this. Let what we're doing be eternal. I really don't care. He's, and, and this is my interpretation. 
I really don't care what my last few days look like here. But I want to know that what I've done is going to be there. It's going to be permanent. There's something here that's eternal. When I look at what Paul says, I've got, I think about this all the time. The eternal, the unseen things are eternal. We're putting our hands and our feet and our mouths to work that we can see, but it's also work we can't quite see. When we preach the gospel, every time you preach the gospel, it's not like a fort automatically goes up that you can see. It's not like you see a physical, you know, an angel knocking people down. When you preach the gospel, there's something unseen happening. When you love somebody, there's something unseen happening. When you let the fruit of the Spirit grow out of you and, 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 and walk, walk that out and let that be part of your life, that fruit is unseen, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, all of that stuff is unseen, but it's eternal stuff. I think about this. This building is nothing. I thank God for it, but it'll burn with everything else. It'll, it'll be rolled up with everything else. But you think if we have any, if we have just the tiniest impact, and I want to have more than a tiniest impact, but if we had even just a tiny impact on our city as far as the kingdom of God is concerned, as far as people coming to Jesus, being set free, being delivered from bondage, coming back to life, it's not the building that's going to matter. It's that. And that'll be around long after the world passes away. When you think about that, I go back to a very, something I'm just going to have to admit to you. For years, I read those seven letters and I got a lot out of them, but I kind of glazed over the part that said to them that, to him overcomes, this is what I'll do, because it just didn't connect with me. I'll give him the hidden manna. I'll make a pillar, I'll make him a pillar in the house of my God. I, I'll let him rule. I'll let him sit. You know why? Because I was still thinking earthly and that really was like, I don't quite know what that means and, and, and I don't really know how that helps me today. But it absolutely will help you today. So what I determined to do was, Lord, let me look at it until I see it. Lord, would you open my eyes to see the beauty of what you're promising I mean, this is Jesus saying, here's the reward at the end of, the th end of everything. If that can't be motivating, if that's not exciting, then the problem is not what Jesus is offering. The problem is I don't realize the value of it yet. Jesus said, don't throw your pearls before swine because the swine will become angry and trample you. And, and what's his point? If you threw a pearl to a wild pig or even a domesticated pig, they're going to look at it and they're going to take a bite and it crunches and it doesn't taste good and they're going to be angry that you fooled me. This is worth nothing to them. Right? Because the only thing that's worth something to them is what immediately tastes good and feels good in their belly. That's the way pigs think. But you know, if you were to pick up that pearl, you could buy all the corn that that pig ever wants. Right? That pearl has way more value than anything you'd feed that pig. But all the pig sees is, does it taste good right now? Does it feel good right now? And see, so we've got to get out of our attitude of what, what is, I mean, thank God that the word of God is super practical. Thank God that you, there's an answer for you right now. But there's more. Amen? 
You know, I want you to remember that Jesus fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. But when they followed him and, and were looking for another free meal, he said, I want you to desire the bread that doesn't perish. What's his point? I, I, he didn't not feed them. He fed them. But he had something even better than a temporary meal. You don't have to, I mean, Jesus will meet your needs right now. He healed people right then. He raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus still eventually died. So, you know, thank God that he raised them from the dead, but there was even a greater resurrection that Lazarus received. Even greater than getting up from the dead after four days was the fact that Lazarus, because he believed in Jesus, was given eternal life. So, yes, this is practical. It is applicable right now. It will help you with the nitty-gritty of life. But I want to tell you, let's be a little bit more, more than a little bit. Let's be better than the pigs. And let's say, if I crunched on this pearl, it doesn't taste good. I'm looking at it, I don't see the value in it. But Jesus seems to be putting a lot of weight on it. Maybe the problem's not what he's offering. Maybe the problem's how I perceive it, right? Like, pay attention to Jesus. When he says, I have a treasure for you, and he opens it up and you go, aw, maybe you don't realize how valuable what he's offering you is because Jesus isn't the world's greatest prankster. He's not just pranking you going, <laughs> you thought it was going to be something cool. <laughs> I said hidden manna. What does that mean to you? Nothing. Conk. No, obviously it's valuable. So if that's the case, I'm not going to walk away until I realize that value. I may never really get it until I get it. You know what I mean? Like uh, the, Paul says, right now we're seeing through a glass dimly. But that day we'll, we'll see it. We'll, we'll, when the perfect is made perfect, he says, we'll see face to face. We'll know as we're known. So I think there'll be things I understand there that I don't quite get now. But man, if Jesus is saying this is your reward, I want to get excited about that reward. And I want to just say, Lord, if I'm not excited yet, I'm not going to pretend to be excited. If I'm not excited about this yet, would you show me the value in what you're talking about? Would you open my eyes to it so I will get excited about being seated with you right now and being seated with you in the age to come? That I'll be excited about being a pillar in the house of God. That I'll be excited about receiving that hidden manna. That I'll be excited about getting a name that no one knows. That I'll be excited about getting a tattoo on my forehead that has your name on it. Amen? Yeah. And we've, I've tried to bring out some of that truth as we've studied this, but I just want you to know, all of this is opening our eyes again to the value of eternal things. And I want you to be so aware of eternity. Not because, because here's the deal, you're not waiting for eternity, you're in it right now. Right. And what we're doing right now does not just echo in eternity. What we're doing right now is part of what God's doing through eternity. You're part of his story. There's not a part one and a part two. Heaven's not the sequel. This is the beginning of all that. We're in a transition zone right now. We're in a training zone right now. We're training to be kings. But we are kings now. If you can grasp that, you'll rule and reign now so that you can rule and reign then. Thank God you won't be afraid of 
any demonic power, anybody that tries to threaten you, you won't see that as a big deal. If we really ask ourselves, what would make a guy like Paul willing to go through all he went through? It's quite simple. He was aware of the great value of what was in front of him. Just like Jesus, for the joy set before me endured the cross. If you're aware of what's in front of you, right now you can go through this. And I don't just mean go through this, you can overcome through this. Because he, as Paul said, listen, he listed, he, there's, you go through this book, these le- letters he wrote, he doesn't have a problem listing several times, here's all the things we go through. <laughs> Like, he didn't try to hide the truth from anybody. He seemed quite okay with saying, let me tell you what I go through day to day. But uh, even when he does that, he says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So he's saying, guys, every time they try to throw me in prison, every time they try to beat me up, every time I, I had to spend a day and a night in the deep, every time they stole me with rocks, he said, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. We got to stop seeing the conquering as the end and start to see now, now is part of the conquering. Now is part of the victory. We're walking victory. We're walking through his victory. And I want you to be aware of that. When you plant into the kingdom of heaven, that harvest It's not just in this life. Thank God for this life. Jesus said, if you've given up families or farms or any of these things for my name, he says, you'll reap a hundredfold in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. So he's telling you guys, there's a harvest here, but there's even a greater harvest there. Be aware of it. It'll pull you through. It'll pull you through the tough times knowing that there's even better things. I'm not just talking about the sweet by and by. I'm talking about the culmination of everything Jesus died to redeem again. The garden was the sneak preview. But it was on such a small scale. And what man gave up in the garden, Jesus took back. And he said, I'm going to make all things new again. And the garden was just the beginning. It was meant to spread throughout the whole universe. And the universe is never going to stop spreading. His government will know no end. This is cool stuff. Let's pray. Stand with me.